Gaming History 101. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Gaming History 101, the Retro Video Games Podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Fred Rojas, and actually, I am your only host today, so it's a poor choice of words. Um, uh, here on a solo show, yes, I do not have a guest today, uh, although that was the plan. I didn't actually go for a guest. I'm not particularly fond of solo shows, but uh, my planning wasn't quite on the outset. I was hoping Jam would be back by now, and it's fine that he's not. Uh, we eagerly anticipate his return, but uh, in the meantime... Um, you get me, and uh, and so today we are going to be doing the Blaster Master series. So, uh, Blaster Master Zero recently came out on the Switch and the 3DS. Uh, from what I've been told, they are pretty much the same games, but that's easy to say as somebody who only has one version. Uh, I am playing the 3DS version. Um, while we will not be talking about um, Blaster Master Zero, I figured let's talk about the franchise. And I do apologize, you who are downloading it already know the length of this show. So it may not be a full-length show, but that was not my intention going into it. Did the best I could, and for what it's worth, if it's not a full-length show, there will be content um, to follow later on this week. So stay tuned. Um, but real quick, before we get started with that, want to uh, I want to give a big shout out to everyone out in the chat today. Tonight we are here, like every other uh, episode, live on All Games every Tuesday night, allgames.com, 7 p.m. Eastern, now daylight time. Uh, I believe that is midnight Greenwich Mean Time. I think you guys are on Daylight Savings as well in the UK, so there you go. Um when is Jam coming back? Probably soon. Uh, I know he is dangerously close to soon, but I don't want to rush things, and I want him to be ready when he does come back. Um, and uh, when he does, we'll be jumping into uh, Beyond Oasis, or uh, I think it's Story of Thor in Europe for you Europeans. But anyway, with that, let's cl- let's kick everything off with uh, emails. We do have an email today from Andrew. If you would like to write in, please contact us at either contact at GamingHistory101.com or where most people contact us, go on over to GamingHistory101.com, hit the contact link in the upper right-hand corner, and fill out the form, and you're good to go. Um, <clears throat> so he writes the subject, I don't know, more stuff, I guess. Uh Hello, this was originally going to be super short, but something discussed in the Mass Effect episode made it longer. Angry gamers, those dumb, nasty, angry gamers. You see, gamers are not just angry at publishers for not giving them exactly what they want and fast enough. While that certainly does happen, most angry gamers, the most anger gamers feel towards the industry is definitely justified. While you may not have noticed, the gaming industry, though perhaps not becoming worse, certainly has become more transparent. The target audience for the first time uh, for the first time we saw the sausage being made. Greedy publishers forcing developers to rush out unfinished titles and make a quick buck. Programmers not having enough time or money to finish a game uh, for the deadline. Developers blamed for the poor product and fired by the publishers actually responsible. Check, check, triple check. Even heard of Tomb Raider, or ever heard of Tomb Raider Angel of Darkness? That game was supposed to be the best Tomb Raider so far, be twice as long, and bursting with features. 
What was uh, released instead was a half-broken mess, all because the publisher forced the project out a whole year before it was finished. I should point out I should be screaming this because Andrew wrote a whole year before it was finished in all caps. He doesn't typically do that, so that emphasizes his point. Um, There were supposed to be two sequels taking the story in an epic direction. Never happened. And don't even get me started on developers making sequels for other people's franchises, putting less than minimal care to keep the tone and characters consistent. Or on or on disc DLC. Or censorship. Or broken promises. Or broken hopes. Or broken dreams. Alright, that mess is done with. This is the original short message I was going to send. The only bridge game, in air quotes, in a trilogy I ever played was Legend of Spyro the Eternal Night. It ends on a cliffhanger, leading directly to the next part. I do not know how well it sold, though apparently not too many copies. I liked it, though. And Prince of Persia Warrior Within is the best 3D Castlevania game. End. Well, sir, Gauntlet Throne, I'd say that's a challenge. As an avid fan of the Castlevania franchise, I think I definitely need to go back and replay Prince of Persia Warrior Within, so... Um, but, uh, yes, yes, yes. So thank you very much, Andrew. Now, as far as the publisher thing, I think there are equal worlds of mud being slung because the same thing can be true, unfortunately, of the fact that developers couldn't make these games if they didn't have a publisher funding them in many situations. That being said, um, I, I have to agree with you in the general principle that it breaks people's hearts and the games are poor products that no one's proud of. That doesn't help anybody. Um, so Tiger Claw says you were also an angry gamer just saying, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yes, 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 yes. So, um, yeah, uh, we've got, uh, so anyway, thank you very much, Andrew. Uh, he is calling in the chat for people to write in. Yeah. I mean, feel free to at any time you want, please write in, even if you think it's foolish, even if you think it's, you know, something that people aren't going to think about I, I i do think and this isn't even a negative slam for those of you who are listening to ghx and and may have a different opinion on me um which is fine your opinions are fair and probably true regardless um don't be hesitant to um uh to speak because you're worried about not being part of the the majority i think the there's nothing wrong with a vocal minority, even though we tend to attack them. I think the bigger concern here is that too many people are sitting in a kind of like a, a tube of only hearing things they agree with. I, I recently heard saw some people in a debate talking about it. It was either on Twitter or Facebook. I didn't see it and I didn't really care to remember. But the point was... I got involved in the debate and I chimed in and gave my opinion. Well, my opinion didn't mesh with everybody else's. And I wasn't trying to be counterproductive. I was actually saying, you know, you make a good point here, but consider this. They deleted that and they continued talking about how nobody listens to them and nobody takes their opinion seriously and their opinion is never, um, you know, and their opinion is the only right and just one. Well, while you may feel that way, I do think it's important to keep discussions open. Uh, One of the smartest things a person I respect recently said was, be ready to disagree, be ready to, um, to, I wouldn't say argue, but to have an open discussion about something that uh, you and another party uh, don't see eye to eye on. I think that is where true um, out-of-the-box thinking comes from, and I think that is where true critical thinking comes from, and I'd like to think of us as uh, uh, as, as that kind of uh, circumstance. Uh, also, um, yes, uh, Andrew, I hope that the skipping is on your end, but uh, if it is not... Uh, other people listening, please let me know if you're having audio problems, uh, just in case it is on my end. Um, so, uh, yeah, there we go. 
Um, so yeah, so definitely write in. We are going to have a section that's going to give a little bit more praise and push for those that write in. So, and the other question is, what do I have to, ooh, okay. Um, what do I have to do to like prompt you guys? What if I gave away games? I mean, I don't have anything crazy. I don't want to give away too many retro things or anything like that. Um, but uh, what if I gave you guys, say, uh, you know, like Steam codes or PSN codes or things like that? Would that work? Um, possibly. So um, let me know. Let me know. Let me know. I'm asking for feedback. Bring it. Bring it. So anyway, um, but, uh, but yeah. So uh, again, just a reminder, contacting history11.com or in the upper right-hand corner. Um, if I sound a little disjointed at the end of that, uh, that email, uh, I apologize. I was trying to make sure... Um, everything uh, was working right technically and I am running solo today so I can't like buffer time. But anyway, with that, uh, I do have something. This is going to be a call to action. You're going to see a post about this. Um, oh, one sec. Saiwan says, if everyone thought it'd be a boring world, uh, if everyone thought the same, it'd be a boring world, though unfortunately, we live in a world where most people prefer to like on their book face page or yeah, 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 rather than reality, uh, rather than to really spark a thought. Or a Neo Geo CD. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Psy one, one day a Neo Geo CD is going to show up at your doorstep and you're going to be enamored until you look at the side and go, he sent me a fucking NTSC console. Anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, with that in mind, um, yeah, so you're going to see a post about this on Thursday, but I'll just mention it here. So those of you live will hear it right away. And those of you podcast listeners, which is, I would say, a majority of our audience, uh, will hear it first. Um, I need to know if anybody's interested in writing. Uh, I'm looking for writers. Content providers would be interesting too. Um, actually, let me bridge, uh, let me extend that. I'm looking for people who want to write. I'm looking for people who are good at write, uh, artistic drawings or graphic design. I am interested in people who want to produce content, be that uh, epi- uh, probably not as much podcast, but I'd love for you to be a uh, 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 you know, either a guest or a consistent co-host on the show alongside myself and Jam. Jam is going nowhere, at least as far as I know. Um, I'd like to know if anybody's interested in that. And I'd also like to know if anybody's interested, uh, you know, in just assisting me with this. Uh, we have some... <laughs> oh no, Psy1 is happy with NTSC. Um, but uh, I, I, I have some some plans that I'm, I'm hoping to put into place. And uh, once I get everything sorted out, we'll make some announcements. Uh, it, you don't have to stretch too far to kind of figure out what's going on. Um, but in the meantime, while we're looking for that stuff, uh, content's going to slow down a little bit on the Gaming History 101 website. And by that, I mean art articles and potentially videos save for one um that is because i'm going to have to combine my efforts and get things going the podcast as always will not change you will get a weekly episode of gaming history 101 at least as far as i'm planning and you will get a bi-weekly episode of ghx that will continue to happen um but uh with that uh i'm gonna take some a uh, little bit of a hiatus on i've, I've shut down review copies for right now as uh, you guys have probably seen a couple of topics like that going live and a couple of other things while I get my ducks in a row and talk to jam and uh, see who's interested in maybe working with us. So if you are a a retro person, if you're trying to get a feel for what kind of content I'm looking for, not a consistent influx, one, maybe two articles a month. And if you're doing video projects or something like that, um, probably uh, and, and or art and graphic design, I'm looking again one, maybe two projects a month. Um, so yes, uh, hit me up at the contact link in the notes, uh, write something like writers wanted or something like, or like, uh, app application or something. Um, it's always good if you have, um, 
you know, something to show for it. And then I will ideally set up either a phone call or a Skype call. I understand that it's kind of scary over the internet, which is why maybe anonymity of Skype or Google chat would be better um, to just discuss with you kind of what I'm thinking and uh, where you might fit in that. So uh, just need a couple of people I've got. Some people I've talked to already on board, um, but I want to get a, a decent amount of staff where nobody's having to work too hard. And that's kind of the goal. This is supposed to be fun. Let's have some fun with it. But I also want different audiences, different voices. So anyway, um, but yes, yes, yes. And uh, excellent. So I won. Hit me up. Um, and that also goes to, yes, there will be future plans. One thing I will say, though, immediate future plans. The one thing I'm going to do while on this quote unquote hiatus, I think you'll start seeing, you know, uh, us revealing everything in the upcoming months and hopefully, uh, sometime in May or very early, like first of June, uh, actually showing off that, which our plans are. And we're not going to be like cryptic about it. I just want to make sure it's all going to fall into place before I promise anything because over promising and under delivering is something I'm extremely good at with gaming history 101. The one thing I am working on is Cron CD. Um, I'm going to hopefully crank out uh, episode five of Cron CD, maybe even episode six, but I don't want to put my, you know, too many decks in a row, but I want to focus on that, uh, which also means in Strip Mahjong, I know you listen, so I apologize. Thank you for coming out to all of them, but I think I'm going to put the uh, live streams for Resident Evil on hold. I'm not a great live streamer. I'm not very entertaining while I live stream, and I feel like I'm doing a disservice, maybe shorter uh, things would be better suited for me. I don't know, but again, this all gets enhanced by feedback. I want to give you the content you want. And in order to do so, it assists me to have feedback. Now, does that mean I will ever stop making content? Hell no. I will do whatever I want to as well. <laughs> but it's always great to have ideas. And that goes definitely for show ideas. I am not running out of show ideas, but I feel like I'm getting varied responses on whether or not the topics are interesting to certain people and whatnot. Tell me what's interesting to you so I can start making shows for you. Uh, with that in mind, let's move on and actually talk about Blastamaster. Man, do I love that. Um, so yeah, Blaster Master, that, it was a little quieter, I apologize for that, but that was uh, from the uh, NES uh, original game, which uh, we'll be talking about now. So let's talk about Blaster Master. Um, what always, going into it, what always surprises me is how um, Blaster Master is kind of an oddity of a game. It's a weird experiment. It really only seemed to get strong traction in the United States, and yet everyone seems to somewhat know about it. Maybe outside of Japanese. I don't know. Freddie might be able to tell me, but um, <laughs> uh, please do, Andrew. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, um, Blaster Master is really one of those Japanese-developed, heavily embraced by the West kind of franchises, um, almost akin to 
I don't know if it's safe to say this, but I feel like like Resident Evil is more popular than Biohazard is in Japan. Um, I could be wrong about that, though. They were It was popular everywhere. But there are certain franchises that nonetheless come out of Japan and are heavily embraced by the West to the point that Japan doesn't even release you know sequels in its own region. And Blaster Master is no exception. So let's get into the, uh, the history of this game that is often considered kind of a staple of popular culture in uh, the United States, especially when you refer to NES gaming in the NES era. So um, Blaster Master uh, released in 1988, in the summer of 88 in Japan, a holiday of 88 US, and then spring of 89 in uh, Europe. And I use those loose release dates because while you might be able to pinpoint specific ones on Wikipedia or Moby Games or something like that, I really don't trust many of them outside of the Japanese ones. Um, so I like to give just kind of regions so that people can get a feel for what, like what's on, you know, what, what's coming out. Now, Blaster Master, um, uh, and it, also I should point out, Blaster Master is known as Metafight in Japan. It's actually got a longer name, but most people refer to it as Metafight. Um when you look at Blaster Master, here's one of the big reasons why I'm surprised so many people remember it. It came out in a very busy holiday season. Um, earlier in the year, you get Mega Man 2, which was a hell of a sequel. Um, and it had really caught on quite a bit to the point that I remember a lot of my friends getting Mega Man 2 as a Christmas gift that year. Uh, this is also the famous... Uh, holiday season when uh while maybe somebody received blaster master i was receiving uh both super mario brothers 2 and zelda 2 the adventure of link which were highly sought after sequels highly anticipated um the latter of which zelda 2 just kind of spewed out at the end of the holiday season like it really screwed over a lot of parents um and so it's surprising to me that Blaster Master kind of, I don't know, gets some of the recognition it does, and I would kill to get actual sales data. But as you'll find out later on in this discussion, uh, none that I could find really existed. Somebody knows, but it's not going to be us. Um, another thing to point out about Blaster Master was, uh, I don't know if this was the case with it, but in the NES era, uh, carts were kind of like a one-and-done thing. You ordered your carts from... Uh, basically you would order your carts from Nintendo when you got approved for them and uh, Nintendo would make as many as they hoped you could get and you had to kind of guess in advance now the publisher of Blaster Master is Sunsoft we'll talk about that in a minute but so they had been publishing games for quite some time so maybe they had a better feel for what they wanted to purchase but this is also one of their few unlicensed games uh, that came out around this time on the NES so maybe they were a little uh, let's say conservative about it. The other thing is once a game like kind of takes off and sells out, if you want to order a new set from Nintendo, it can be very difficult. And I don't have my dates lined up quite well, but I believe this may have been around the chip shortage time. Maybe it was 87. Um, but it could have been hard to get more copies of a game in. And what would often happen for companies that took this risk was the game would finally come back in stock in like March after it was very popular in the holidays and it wouldn't sell at all. And then you've got all these unsold carts. So there is that, but, um, but yeah, uh, so that's why Blaster Master from a popularity perspective is a bit of an anomaly to me. Now, when you start breaking down the merits of the game, which we'll get into now, um, makes a little more sense. So, um, 
Blaster Master, the original, was developed by Tokai Engineering and published by Sunsoft. At the time, Sunsoft was best known for making, as I like to put it, good licensing games. Um, the comparison being, obviously, uh, uh, G uh, LJN, a subsidiary of... Oh, who was LGN part, uh, LJN part of... Um, hold on, let's... Uh, LJN... There we go, publisher... I know they were an offshoot of, oh, Acclaim, Acclaim. So LJN was Acclaim's kind of like licensing uh, shitter outer, <laughs> I guess I would say. And uh, and when you compare a lot of their stuff, which I know gets some kind of niche uh, popularity, um, uh, when when you look back at it with games such as, uh, well, like I look back fondly on the rare developed uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, but I don't think many do. A lot of people do like Jaws. I like Jaws by LJN. Um, some people like the Karate Kid. I'm in the camp that I do like the Karate Kid, but I know a lot of people don't. Um, and uh, and then of course, Friday the 13th, the ultimate controversial LJN and NES game. And again, I apologize to the Europeans out there who may or may not have like a lot of experience with the NES, at which point naming these things off is like naming off when Jam and, and I wax about, you know, random uh, microcomputer ports. Like if you didn't have a Commodore 64 in America or a microcomputer in Europe, which if you didn't in Europe, wow. Um, you know, you don't know what it means to play the, you you know, like um, a, a licensed RoboCop game or something, perhaps. So, but that's kind of on the on the grounds of, of what I'm referring to. But when you start comparing it to Sunsoft's licensed games, um, I feel like a lot of those licensed games are a lot better. Um, I guess I would say accepted or uh, uh, widely praised. Um, perfect examples of these would be um, well, probably the strongest example uh, would be uh, Batman. Sunsoft's 1989 release on the NES of Batman. A lot of people like that. Um, there was Fester's Quest, which is, again, another one of those uh, very controversial ones. Uh, Platoon in 88 actually came out about the same time as Blaster Master. It's actually a cool game. I just don't think a lot of people played it, but if you get a chance, uh, it's worth playing. It's it's somewhat of a maze game. It, it's weird how Sunsoft borrows the concepts from one game and applies them to another. So... Um, while this isn't borrowing that concept, Platoon was kind of like, I guess, Metal Gear, but uh, not so much stealth and more side-scrolling shooting. Um, and then, of course, they would go on and do one of my favorite games on the NES, which is uh, Gremlins 2, the new batch. Um, I really dug that game um, on, uh, on the NES. And apparently, and I haven't tested this as to whether or not it's actually... Oh, wait, never mind, never mind. There was uh, there was Gremlins 2, uh, Shinshu uh, Tanju uh, in... Uh, in Japan on the Famicom, but it was actually merely the Famicom port of, uh, of, uh, the new batch. Um, so, so yeah, so Sunsoft best known for kind of, I mean, for the most part, uh, licensed games, they did do some interesting ports, uh, you know, and, and again, they were publishing these things, but they did some interesting ports. The NES uh, version of Spy Hunter did come out, um, USA only, uh, thanks to Sunsoft. And, um, you know, they, they had a decent amount of, of other things, um, whether you like them or not, Arrow the Acrobat later on, uh, was definitely a product of Sunsoft and things like that. But Sunsoft really did a good job of harnessing the power of, uh, the NES and, and trying to make the most of it. And Blaster Master is definitely a strong example. Um, so anyway, uh, when you get into it, it was, uh, so who made up Tokai Engineering? Well, it was design, uh, Tokai Engineering, um, 
working on Blaster Master uh, starts with designer uh, Yoshiaki Iwata, not to be mistaken for um, you know Iwata from uh, <laughs> from Nintendo. It's a very common last name in Japan. But yeah, Yoshiaki Iwata, uh, along with a team of four other programmers, um, and the initial goal was to create a game with the best visual presentation on the NES to date. And many would argue that to a certain extent, Blaster Master succeeds at that. Um, you know, when you look at it, uh, the game looks really sharp in, uh, in in stills, especially today where you can get those high renders either from, uh, you know, analog NTs or AVS or, of course, emulation. Um, the game looks amazing. And uh, especially for things coming out in 1988, um, and especially for, while it doesn't hold up gameplay-wise, those top-down kind of isometric sequences, you take that and compare it even to like Super Mario Brothers 2 or Legend of Zelda um, that come out at about the same time, even to a certain extent Platoon, which is by the same publisher, um, and it it stands out. It's it's very impressive. It's got very large sprites. It's very action-oriented. Sometimes there's far too many things on the screen at the time, which causes a heck of a flickering problem uh, as you go through it. Um, but again, what I really like about Sunsoft and what really makes you follow that developer, or not that developer, that publisher, is that they do push their developers to kind of make the most of the platform. And I really give credit where credit's due on stuff like that. Um, Another company that I loved that did this was Konami, best example being the Castlevania series. The Castlevania series always pushed the hardware of a platform it was on, and that all started with Konami on uh, the NES. So... Um, <clears throat> Additionally, the audio was in conjunction with a sound programmer, which was one of the, the five core team members, and composer Naoki Kodaka, who's also responsible for some of Sunsoft's best titles, uh, including the aforementioned Platoon, Batman, and Gremlins 2. I should also point out, I love the soundtracks to these four games. Uh, Platoon, Batman, Gremlins 2, and Blaster Master. You're going to hear a good deal of Blaster Master's NES soundtrack uh, in this discussion today, um, but I highly recommend you know either on your own if you can own or play the game games uh, or just through of course the YouTube functions or whatnot grabbing the OSTs to these and taking a look at them um, so yeah one interesting thing about Blaster Master uh, especially when you compare the uh, the game uh, between the two regions is that for the most part it's the same in both regions uh, Blaster Master it's the same game uh, in the east and the west uh, there is a sequence that was cut because um, uh, I, I believe the term used on Wikipedia was a disagreement within the eastern and western portions of Sunsoft. Um, the other more candid reply I found on some message boards was uh, that uh, the, the the American testers flat out thought it was bullshit. Um, was a scene in which uh, Jason, the lead character, has to get out of um, Sophie and uh, and make a leap of faith towards a ladder uh, at the very end of the game. Um, and given certain factors of this game, like the fact that you couldn't save and there's no passwords, it was a very risky jump to have someone make at the end of the game. And while it, it built tension and everything, um, it, it would turn many players off. It would probably go down in history as um, one of the most bullshit moments in a video game were it to have been left in. So I know that's, that's not in there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, otherwise, um, content wise, it's pretty much the same game plot wise. 
it is a little bit of a different story. So um, anyway, let's listen to a real quick track from uh, the prologue, but uh, then we'll spin a little yarn about uh, the difference between um, the the Japanese counterpart, uh, better known as Metafight, and Blaster Master in the West. <laughs> So yes, let's talk about the core differences between um, Metafight and uh, and Blaster Master. So you've got two camps. On the one hand, you've got the Japanese game. So are you ready for this? So here's what it what the plot is in Japan. In Japan, Meta Fight is a sci-fi tale. It takes place on the planet of Sophia the uh, Third, with an advanced civilization in the year 2052, and it tells the tale of an evil emperor by the name of Goez. G-O-E-Z. Uh, and he's known for conquering most of the nearby systems. And he zeroes in on Sophia the Third, which is in a, I think they call it the, the cluster of the Milky Way galaxy. And so I can't really tell if they're referring to us or not. It's not really clear. And again, I bet a lot of this gets lost in literal translation. Anyway, the only survivor of the attack is the Science Academy's Nora satellite, which leads me to believe like it's either an offshoot ship or an offshoot station. And the Nora satellite um, escapes, and they have plans for a weapon that will defeat Goez and his army. Now, this weapon is a tank, which they call Metal Attacker in the Japanese translation. And a boy named Kane Gardner, is that a fucking awesome action 80s name or what? Kane Gardner is the pilot of it. And so the game opens with Metal Attacker dropping into battle with Kane in tow. And basically throughout the game, you as Kane in Metal Attacker traverse these alien worlds on this fictional planet of Sophia the Third taking out the armies of Goez that are going after them and eventually taking on Goez himself, destroying him. And then there's this amazing like escape sequence, uh, not unlike Metroid, which will come up in a minute here. Um, but also, uh, I believe Jeremy Parrish, when he was talking about Blaster Master, likened it to uh, at the end of Halo when um, uh, when you're on the Warthog and you're leaving for the first time on the, fir- you know, on the original Xbox when that was like something new for the Halo franchise as opposed to the recycling it got. Um, so yeah, so that's the Japanese plot. It's very, for lack of a better term, I'm sorry. It's very anime. It's very sci-fi. It lends itself very well to that kind of like otaku heavy, but I don't think that was the target. Just, um, video game fantasticalness, you know, for certain plot lines and even the animations and stuff lend themselves very well to it. And it works whether you're talking about Blaster Master or Metafight, because let's face it, the graphics really don't go under much of a change between the regions. On the other hand, in the West, we know a very different story, which will actually become the, canonic, uh, the canonical or the canon uh, plot 
for um, this franchise uh, as, as it becomes known. Uh, so in the West, here's the, the much more lighthearted and simple concept um, that definitely threw away those anime vibes and definitely westernized to a T. So ready for this? So, okay, it actually tells the tale of Jason, who is a young boy with a pet frog named, aptly, Fred. Fred the Frog. Fred the Frog was not unique, and as a guy with the name of Fred or Freddy growing up in the 80s, I there was no lack of ways to make fun of me without even thinking too much out of the box. Anyway, uh, so Fred escapes from his fishbowl and out an open window. Literally, the animations show a fishbowl next to a window. Boop, Fred jumps out. Upon his escape, Fred discovers and perches on a chest that happens to uh, be in, uh, in in Jason's, I believe it's his backyard, but it's not very clear. It's just, a, it's just you see grass and then there's a chest there. Freddy jumps on it. It's radioactive though. So what happens is Fred grows to an enormous proportion and then falls into a hole that opens up. The chest goes with him and Jason, in an attempt to save his frog, falls into the hole as well. At the end of his descent, Jason ends up kind of like deep in the Earth's crust, maybe even beneath the Earth's crust, but it's a very rock-like formation. Frog's gone. There's definitely a path that the frog, you know, the Fred the Frog took as he, as he barreled through. And in front of him is a suit and a tank. And uh, in, in, in the Western iteration... Um, the tank is used to fight off evil radioactive monsters beneath the Earth's crust that are trying to destroy the universe. And they're all led by this man called the Plutonium Boss, who is the final boss of the game. Um, so anyway, uh, this, uh, ironically enough, this, uh, he, Jason dons the combat suit and he jumps into the tank, now known as Sophia Third. So, and, and more people shorten it to Sophia, but I believe the instruction manual is skimming through it today, but I didn't focus on it too much it, it seemed like a passing detail that i'd remember and now i'm i'm losing it but basically sophia the third is the name of the tank later on known as sophia for short um but yes uh so and clue drew says because that's how radiation works absolutely that's how radiation works um but in Tiger Claw says uh, they should make a Blaster Master movie. Somehow I feel like Holes maybe would qualify. I don't know. But yeah, yeah. I mean, this would have been a killer anime. Uh, although to a certain extent, maybe it already does exist to, <laughs> uh, to its ends. I mean, if you start thinking about it like a Neon Genesis Evangelion, while it's a definitely a very different concept of anime, and of course any western person's gonna fall back on this because it's the easiest one to go to i mean it's that concept of like a young boy being the only one who can save mankind and he dons this mechanical you know way to fight the enemy and uh, save the world but anyway so very different plots when you go through these things and of course so the the uh, the the alternative meaning for when you play Blaster Master in the West is that you're actually Jason. You're looking to save your frog, like how awesome and kind of cute, like but in a non-derogatory way, that is of a plot line. And um, in the meantime, you'll save the world, right? You just happen to come upon this way to save the world, so why not, right? Uh, who knew? You know, that of all people, the 12-year-old boy is going to come across, you know, the mutants in the Earth's core, the aliens in the Earth's core trying to blow it up. You know, there you go. So you have to save the world, and that is what these journeys are. You're actually under the Earth's crust saving the world. Um, 
So yeah, so that's the the top the plot of Blaster Master. Um, so as we move on, um, so here's the gameplay. I should also point out, people probably already know this, but this was only an NES game. This only came out on the Famicom in Japan and the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System in America and uh, or sorry, in North America and Europe. So, uh, so the gameplay. This is what's kind of most distinct about the game, and, and definitely where it gets a lot of its high praise. So the gameplay is split into two modes: the Sophia mode and the Jason mode. The Sophia sections are side-scrolling and, for lack of a better term, platformer. Uh, it's a side-scrolling platformer. Um, it has wide open worlds that you can kind of explore from the get, but of course, like many games of this genre, which many will liken to the Metroidvania, but that wasn't really a thing back in 1988. Um, you know, you're you're gated only by your your ship's abilities. There are power-ups found throughout the game, and there are, I guess, dungeon-esque areas. I would call them like the Jason areas. And in those areas, um, you get power-ups and whatnot that can sometimes be applied to Sophia. Uh, so sorry, I keep saying Sophia. Sophie. Um that uh, allow you to do different things like fly, hover, um, defy gravity, and get to these other areas that will help you progress through the game. Um, now, most people will note, even back then, how closely it, it resembled Metroid, which had been released a year earlier in America, 1987. I believe it was 86 in Japan, because it was a Famicom Disk System game. Uh, but I can't remember off the top of my head, but I know Metroid was 87 in, in America. Um, and it was a game everyone played. Not everyone beat it. I, I didn't really connect with Metroid the same way other people did. Um, but I definitely, um, I, I definitely drew the distinction. Um, in a 2010 interview between uh, Iwata, the designer, and uh, writer Justin Potts for uh, Level 42, not to be mistaken for 42 Level 1, I think Level 42 was a magazine. Uh, I can't recall whether it was UK or US. A quick Google search would answer that. But anyway, um, Iwata fully cops to taking the design of Metroid. Um, and in fact, he goes even a step further and says, we took a lot of ideas from a lot of very popular games at the time and integrated it into this game because you know it was supposed to be this culmination of good game design choices and i think that may be why it 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 touches each player of this game there was very few people rental was rampant in america at this time there weren't a whole lot of people that didn't touch blaster master i just don't think a whole lot of people bought blaster master uh this might also give way to why people are so positive on the game um when they look back because no one really took a long period of time with it. That's not to say you shouldn't be positive with it, but when I get into my criticisms leveled against the game, um, I don't know if everyone gave it the old quote unquote college try. I ended up inheriting this from a buddy in 89 when uh, he sold his NES and he was going to sell a bunch of stuff to Funko Land. Uh, maybe Funko Land wasn't out yet. Maybe he was going to sell it to a mom and pop shop, but he gave me a handful of games he knew I really liked to play. And of them, Double Dragon was one and definitely Blaster Master was another. <clears throat> his name's Jonathan, Jonathan S. He actually lived in Kansas at the time. Who knows, Jonathan? Maybe you're out there. Never thought to look you up, actually. Uh, probably should do that. Anyway. Later on, uh, Sophia does uh, gain these abilities, but uh, but yeah. Um, so the Sophia sections are basically Metroid, um, and they come with a lot of the uh, the dangers that come with that. There's some pretty tough platforming in here, uh, and there's some interesting fighting design. I think people have most fun with the third person uh, Sophia Sophie sections. Sorry, not Sophia Sophie sections, and um, uh, let me now. I'm wondering if I'm saying it right or not. No, Sophia the third. So maybe it's Sophia. Sorry, Sophia. Blech. 
can't believe I did this wrong. Okay, here's my notes in the later games. Okay, yes, it is Sophia. Um, uh, but yes, uh, so yeah, the, the Sophia sections are definitely the better design sections. Um, then there are the Jason sections. Uh, it should be noted that in the side-scrolling areas, Jason can jump out of Sophia. This is mostly to enter his like dungeon-esque areas, um, but he can jump out at any time he wants to. But we should point out, game over is game over in this game. There's no saving. There's no continuing. You cannot. There are no passwords. Uh, you screw up, you screw up. You have to start the whole game over. So a lot of people didn't want to take that risk because he is extremely vulnerable outside of Sophia. Um, but yeah, um, when you go into the Jason areas, and usually these were either ladders that Sophia couldn't get to down into like little building entrances, or sometimes you would literally pull up to a building with Sophia and you could pop Jason out and walk up to the doorway, press up and boom, he's in there. Now these sections are, a lot of people say top down, I would say a little bit more of an isometric view, but I guess I would say top down isometric view is the best way to put it. If you've ever played, if you've never seen this in Blaster Master, it's probably most of the screenshots, especially if you see Jason as like a large sprite. Um, but if you've never seen this before, maybe Gremlins 2 is another good one if you've perchance played that on the NES, but I would say if you haven't played Blaster Master, you probably haven't played that. But, you know, you kind of get the gist of it. Um, and you're navigating like dungeon-esque areas. You'll fight enemies. You have a, a blaster as well as like a side cannon almost blaster, maybe a la Metroid. Um, and then you also have bombs. Bombs are a large part of this. Bombs are probably, uh, you don't get them right away, but once you get bombs, they are the strongest weapon. Um, and again, this is one of those times where turbo pads were definitely your friend. <laughs> um, if you had an NES Max or an Advantage, uh, those were definitely very useful. Anyway, so you run around, uh, you fight enemies, and then eventually you'll come to a boss character. Boss designs were okay. The problem was, like so many other things in Blaster Master, um, the secret was kind of knowing how to fight them. And not so much like... I recently played Yoshi's Woolly World with my daughter. And with all those, it's like the bosses have a gimmick. But once you know how to fight them, you can kill them very easily. That wasn't the case with Blaster Master and a lot of games of this time period. With Blaster Master, it was more, not only did you have to figure out how to fight them, but then you also had to beat them. You had to have the skills to beat them, and that's very difficult. So um, anyway, um, blah, 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 blah. Um, Sorry, okay. Yeah, Sophia is wisdom. Sophie's a girl's name. Um, and Tiger Claw says, funny uh, that a kid finds a high-tech vehicle and immediately knows how to use it real life. You probably press all the buttons and figure out how it works. Yeah, probably. Um, but yes. Um, uh, all right, I will... I, I will. Sorry about this kind of breaking of the fourth wall, but uh, but yeah, please let me know if, um, if the stuttering is on my end um because a lot of people are saying that the stream keeps pausing skipping etc um or is it the server is it something i can't do anything about uh, obviously the recording will be fine but i'm trying to do the best i can for our live audience anyway uh with that we'll we'll move on but uh but yeah um so, so yeah, you're in these underground areas and you're, you're fighting enemies. And, uh, again, whenever you would beat a boss, there's this really cool, like strobing effect. Um, and, uh, and, and you usually get a, a useful power up. I think in the first dungeon it's bombs, which is, you know, one of the more useful parts of Blaster Master. Um, and then you move out and you got to go find the new area. So, um, so yeah, uh, 
and, and, and there was some comparisons. A lot of people say the easiest way to look at it is think of the Legend of Zelda dungeons um, with how they kind of handle the uh, Blaster Master dungeons. I think they're a little more basic than the Zelda dungeons, but you know. Who knows? Um, and I think a lot of people have fonder... Uh, so, so to go back to it, most people consider the Sophie... Uh, the, sorry, the Sophia portion of the game to be more quality, um, although it's not consistent among critics. I can't get you know a clear vision on that one. Uh, the top-down sections, less popular, especially nowadays, but I think the larger sprite detail and just the way that those worked and the fact that people didn't play too often, most people just got to that first dungeon, maybe beat it, and then got a game over and just rinse and repeat... Early on, the Sophia areas aren't that dynamic, so you probably would have found the Jason areas more memorable. Um, but uh, but but they're actually the weaker part, um, and especially when you get into those later areas. I think the real good cutoff is level three. There's an interesting boss that kind of clones himself, and you've got to kill the clone. Um, and uh, once you get through there, and you you can get hit in Blaster Master, especially on those boss battles, for completely asinine reasons. So. Um, so I don't know, um, but uh, but I just remember it being super frustrating. So again, if you are going to play this game, uh, ideally you'll have save states. Uh, you know, maybe not even emulation. The way I play Blaster Master now is on a flash cart with save states uh, because both the EverDrive and the Power Pack support them if you have the right mappers. Uh, that being said, you know it's not completely unbeatable. Um, but uh, but yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, sorry, I had a visitor. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I do think with Blaster Master people, you know, tend to like the Jason sections the most, but they're probably the weakest part. It's weird though, cause, um, Blaster Master would later on, Sunsoft would later on clone the Jason sections in both, uh, Gremlins 2, the new batch, and Fester's Quest to varying degrees of success. Uh, I looked it up. I heard some hints that like Fester's Quest was maybe supposed to be Blaster Master 2. Not true. Uh, as far as I can tell, in every way, shape, and form, that's not true. Fester's Quest was always intended to be a licensed game, always intended to have that game design, uh, but they did borrow that design from Blaster Master. Um, and then Gremlins 2 and Fester's Quest, I think, be, for the same reason, no saving, no password system, and as brutal difficulty is not a very good game. I think it's a trash fire of a game. But uh, but Gremlins 2, on the other hand, uses the exact same perspective, and it is absolutely fantastic. Um, so, uh, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. So, you know, it, it just it just depends. Um, but, uh, but um, yeah, so, um, you know, just depending on where you stand with Blaster Master, my daughter just took my phone and left. Okay, I don't have my phone, guys. Not that it matters, but if anybody's sending me anything, <laughs> that's what's gone on. Anyway, um, but with that in mind, um, you know, uh, that's kind of where Blaster Master sits from actually critics at the time and kind of people's thought process on it. Where I stand with it is it's a pretty impressive unique title that kind of splits two genres into almost two separate games combined into one um, with like one fatal flaw, which is the lack of a continue password or save system. Um, the game's a little bit more fun when you're 10 years old and just renting it for a weekend rather than if you're going to sit down with it and actually try to beat it. Um, that's not to say it doesn't have its value, um, but I do think it's kind of a little 
overhyped. Although what I'm about to tell you about with its reception, who am I uh, compared to the people who have said some very positive things about it? So while Metafight was not well received internally at Sunsoft or even in Jap in the Japanese market on the Famicom, Blaster Master was extremely popular in the U.S. Um, it received critical praise from critics both at the time and since. Uh, whether it was Steve Rhino, uh, he's best known. He went on to EGM, did some great stuff over there. I really like Rhino's uh, uh, writing style. He really loved this game, especially, like I said, with the duality of the game, uh, with the side-scrolling Metroid portions plus the top-down stuff. Um, he might have even been the one who I read in the article that was... Uh, I actually had to read this in an old... Uh, ah, what was his magazine beforehand? I found it and I forgot it. Um, hold on. Might be in my notes over here. Let's look, let's look, let's look. Yes, here we go. Um, Rhino said it in Electronic Game Player. So yeah, and that becomes Electronic Gaming Monthly. So his early days with Electronic Game Player. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, you know, I think he was, might've been the first one who said it's Metroid meets Zelda. So um, then there was Julian Rignall, which you guys probably know better as US Gamers Executive Editor Jazz Rignall. Um, and he's definitely done a lot of stuff with Eurogamer and over in the UK. At the time, he was working for Mean Machines, and uh, he definitely uh, gave uh, top scores to it. Um, so it didn't really matter what side of the pond you were on. It was very well liked. And then, of course, the very well-known retronaut Jeremy Parrish uh, clearly beloves this title. In fact... I'm thinking back, Parrish's nickname, uh, if you don't know it, often referred to by his longtime industry friends, Toasty Frog. Uh, he doesn't like people calling him Toasty Frog, which I know is a little pretentious, but you know what? The guy's kind of earned with all of the work he's done, enough respect to not be known by his little moniker that he pulled together for his blog several decades ago. Uh, not maybe several, maybe a couple decades ago. But yeah, he started ToastyFrog.org and um, uh, Shane Bettenhausen on Retronauts always used to call him Toasty Frog or T-Frog. Um, I believe those are all in reference to Fred the Frog out of uh, Blaster Master. I could be wrong on that one. Maybe it's just a Frogger reference, but I thought that's what it's from. Anyway, um... Unfortunately, all this praise, whether old or new, uh, oddly enough, Blaster Master still ended up on a list as uh, Nintendo Power, uh, a list um, in a Nintendo Power in 1993 for often overlooked games. Um, they suggested it should have had a license on it, so that just kind of tells you the different world we were in where they, uh, yes, it was. Um, uh, also, uh, Gremlin Song was in Top Score. Sorry, Kluge was talking about it. Also, so was uh, a Batman song, which is, uh, again, same composer. Um, but uh, but yeah, Nintendo Power put it as like their 93, like overlooked and, uh, and uh, could have used a license to boost sales. The only reason I bring that up is Nintendo Power was Nintendo's magazine. So Nintendo kind of probably knew how many sales Blaster Master had celebrated. So they put it on that list. It definitely underperformed, at least by Nintendo's standards. But then you go back over to Sega Retro, uh, who, among many other sources, claims that the sales of Blaster Master justified the creation of the sequel Blaster Master 2 that only released in the U.S. And it's really hard to deny this fact, especially because Sunsoft comes back to publish the Western-only sequel. So who knows where that stands, whether or not Blaster Master really did have the sales to back up its popularity or not. Uh, the fact that in 93 it's considered an overlooked game says a lot, but uh, these days Blaster Master is very well regarded and very well talked about. Um, 
Uh, to this day, Blaster Master continues to get praise on countless top whatever lists, gets bunches of uh, retrospectives, and people seem to love every aspect of this game. Some seem to love the laughable opening sequence, others prompt the game design, whether it be the Sophia or the Jason sections, and probably my softest spot for the game is definitely with the soundtrack. Um, from a legacy standpoint, there was a sequel planned for the Super NES, um, and it was even announced at the Sunsoft booth in the 1992 Winter CES, but that never took shape. Uh, many note later, Sunsoft releases like Fester's Quest and Gremlins 2 obviously took the top-down view, as I had previously mentioned, um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of somewhat died out but it's always seemed like and i think this still holds true today although blaster master zero may or may not it's too early for me to tell on that um they've always had a hard time figuring out how to follow this up so um and we'll see that with the next title that releases um so we're gonna listen to one final nes game to help bury it and then we'll move on to 1991's blaster master boy or blaster master jr so here we go That's actually from the ending sequence of, uh, of Blaster Master, which probably most of us haven't seen, uh, myself included, and therefore don't hear outside of the soundtrack. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yes, uh, the next time Blaster Master would come back um, <clears throat> would actually not be in Blaster Master 2, but rather uh, on the Game Boy, 1991, Sunsoft published... But it was developed by ACOM, Blaster Master Boy or Blaster Master Junior. It was known as Blaster Master Boy in America, Blaster Master Junior in uh, the UK. And actually, it's known as Bomber King Scenario 2 in Japan. Um, and the reason for that is it's not really a Blaster Master game. Um, it's actually rather a Bomberman offshoot clone slash whatever you want to call it um, in which you control a Jason-like avatar but of course he's in the spacesuit so it really could be anybody but it looks like the Blaster Master sprite um, and you're bombing walls and enemies uh, with pattern bombs that explode not unlike Bomberman so uh, in Japan again it was Bomberman Scenario 2 Bomber King Scenario 2 and the reason for that is that Bomber King is actually a, a sequel to the Jalico published Robo Warrior on the NES which if you've never played that, it's actually a spinoff of Bomberman. Now, to my knowledge, Robo Warrior, I haven't played it too often. It's been a little while, but I definitely recognize the box art. Uh, Robo Warrior is um, a little bit more than merely a Bomberman clone. It is a spinoff, but I, I remember it as being a little more of an action title. Um, but uh, Bomber King is not. Bomber King, to my knowledge, I mean, it's a top-down Bomberman game. Uh, and Bomberman is top-down. So for all intents and purposes, it's it's a Bomberman clone, really. Um, but uh, but it totally makes sense, even though publishers and IPs and everything are bouncing all over the place. Um, but, I mean, it's not really a Blaster Master game. Um, for what it's worth, though, I really like um, ACOM. 
uh, Acom was a developer of many things. Uh, the same year that they released Blaster Master Boy, they also released Vice Project Doom, which while it's not a great game, it again is another one of those games. I don't believe Vice Project Doom was a Sunsoft joint, but it might be. Um, but Vice Project Doom was one of those games that's, that's doing some new things. Uh, I'd really like to get into it, but uh, this isn't a podcast for that. So to say focus, I'm going to move on. But if you've never played it, Give Vice Project Doom a chance. Um, maybe not buy it unless you've played it and know you like it, but it's it's worth checking out. Um, and then, of course, one of my favorite NES titles, which we've already done a game club on, Astyanax or Astyanax. That's A-S-T-Y-A-N-A-X. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I knew this developer and I really liked them, although, again, they usually worked with Jalico. Um, it was kind of interesting. Uh, in fact, I believe, I know for a fact Astyanax, Astyanax uh, was a Jalico joint. Um but uh, for one reason or another, they worked with Sunsoft and made this uh, semi-IP-borrowed Blaster Master Boy Jr. slash uh, Bomber King Scenario 2. Um, for what it's worth, if you have a Game Boy, I don't think it's that expensive. Um, I'll double-check that. And um, it's actually a, a, a fun little Bomberman on the go. Now, I think there is a Bomberman game. Game Boy is not my strongest suit. Um, but... Uh, but uh, I mean, I did play Blaster Master Boy back in the day because I thought it would be one of those games, and uh, it worked out okay. Um, looking here, in America at least, uh, it usually sells for between 20 and 30 bucks. Not the cheapest of Game Boy games, but also not the most expensive. Again, you may want to check it out. Uh, it seems to be on kind of a popular stint. There were times um, as recent as a couple years ago where it was selling cart only for only, you know, like under 10 bucks. So it seems it ebbs and flows, so... Um, do you play as a robot in Robo Warrior? Yeah, like a mech-like. In fact, um, just to give you all a feel for it, um, let me let me give you some box art, some some amazingly retro box art that uh, is instantly recognizable as uh, being of that era and kind of tells you. Um, you know what you're used to seeing um but uh, if you're not a robot you're definitely somebody in a mech suit uh who knows maybe you're just uh, maybe it's uh hmm, trying to see now um if it talks about it uh to be honest i didn't read the instruction manual which was usually where you would find um you know information such as that as as in backplot but uh, anyway so that was 91's uh, blaster master boy slash junior the real return of Blaster Master actually comes in 1993 with Blaster Master 2, which actually, ironically enough, was only released on the Genesis. It never came out anywhere other than America, um, which again goes back to what we were talking about, where it was really only popular in, you know, kind of one set region. So, um, <clears throat> uh, so Let's get into the plot of this sequel. So in the sequel, four years have passed since Jason defeated the radioactive armies and their leader, the plutonium boss. He now keeps Sophia, now convert. well, he now keeps Sophia basically in an abandoned barn. And one day, um, the barn is struck by lightning. Jason is in it. He is rendered unconscious. And when he wakes up, um, Sophia has been partially destroyed and pieces of her are missing comes to find out that the radioactive armies have stolen those pieces and are now under the Earth's core again, trying to defeat the Earth. So he has to rebuild her. 
Well, it. I don't know if he considers it a female. Um, he redesigned Sophia, and uh, Sophia gets a new name. It's an acronym, S-O-F-I-A. But as I've never read the instruction manual, I have no idea what that acronym means, and no one's kind of forthcoming with it. Oh, sorry, Andrew. I can't read subtleties. Um Anyway, uh, sequel published by Sunsoft, but development duties were handed off instead of being, uh, you know, internal or even bringing back um, uh, the original developer Tokai Engineering. Um, it's actually given to a UK company. Um, by the name of Software Creations. Now, it's important to note that I think in this time period, and I don't know this from any actual article or anything, it's something I actually noticed following like um, um, like Dinosaur Pie on Retro Gaming Roundup and reading a lot of uh, British articles, talking a little bit to Sid Bolton at the uh, Computer Gaming Museum and things like that, uh, where a lot of these developers that kind of cranked games in Great Britain on microcomputers uh, suddenly got really well versed to moving on to the Amiga and future like more complex uh, microcomputers and the 16-bit era. You know, the idea was we, uh, you know, the 8-bit the era is kind of shit in the bed. Let's move into the 16-bit era. And the one thing that was beneficial was a lot of these 16-bit devices that played video games were all based off of the 68,000 chip uh, microprocessor, um, which of course is the guts of not only the Sega 16 arcades, but eventually the Sega Genesis and Mega Drive. It's for this reason that you'll see a lot of British teams make the leap to 16-bit on the Mega Drive um, or Genesis and start making games there. Uh, and it's also where like, yeah, these companies suddenly get their big break, whereas they were completely unknown to Americans. Um, so anyway, uh, the downside is software creation is not really known for many good titles. Most, mostly rough license games like, let's go back, uh, Bionic Commando on the microcomputers. I've only touched the C64 version, but I thought it was dog terrible. So sorry, guys, if you like it, but I was not a fan of that. Perhaps the ZX Spectrum version's better. I can't imagine how, but I know they did that one as well. And then, of course, there's the Amstrads and the... Uh, and the, uh, oh, what was the other one? I'm blanking on one of them. Maybe the BBC Micro. Um, they also then moved on to LJN's terrible NES license games that I don't even know if they left America, such as Silver Surfer and Wolverine. These games are shit on the NES. Personally, I hate them both. Um, but this team did later on go on to give us both Maximum Carnage and Separation Anxiety on uh, the Sega Genesis and Super NES, which outside of Maximum Carnage, the red cart being worth a ton on the Mega Drive in Europe, um, I found those games to be good side-scrolling brawlers. And you know, those of you who play with me online know that I go by Spider's Venom. Spider-Man and Venom were huge uh, characters that I loved being a comic book collector growing up. And uh, definitely... Uh, at that time, when Carnage is first getting introduced in Marvel Comics, like it was a big deal to see Maximum Carnage, the comic book series, become a video game that was a side-scrolling brawler, especially one where you could be Venom or Spider-Man. But, um, but yeah, um, <laughs> so uh, so yeah, like I said, they go back and forth, and and to be fair. I don't really find Blaster Master 2 to be that bad. Um, the box art is terrible. Um, if you guys want to laugh, let me throw that into the chat. Uh, most of our box art wasn't this bad in America. I do think we got the weaker box art of the three regions uh, for most of the Genesis or 16-bit era, but ugh, it's just rough. Um, but, uh, but, you know, for what it's worth, um, so... 
the idea with the plot line, sorry, I'm a little scatterbrained on this one, but the idea with the plot line does allow software creations to take some pretty decent license and kind of sequelize this game. So you are back underground, you've got Sophia, and you've got Jason's sections. Um, there's kind of three different ways to play the game, although I really think it still stands as there are Sophia sections and there are Jason sections. There's areas that Sophia can't get into. You got to get out. You got to go to do the Jason stuff. So it definitely resembles to a certain extent the original game. The difference is, is one, Sophia doesn't power up anymore. So a lot of the power ups and the leveling stuff and kind of the pseudo RPG mechanics those are gone. Those aren't actually part of the game anymore. Um, and a lot of people found that as a bad thing. You look at reviews, you see that reflected. Um, and there weren't enough reviews for me to really give a good reception on this. So you are going to have to hear my mild bias from my own perspective. Um, you could also, and they integrated this in part of the game design, and this is probably the most novel part of it. You could switch to a top-down view where you literally see top-down of the tank and you could control its rotating, um, you know, kind of barrel head uh, and target Sophia so that she could shoot different things that may be very difficult to hit or even see from the side view perspective. So you could constantly shift views in Sophia, which made those sections pretty dynamic and pretty cool. Um, I should also point out that graphically, this game looks really kind of slick for the time. Uh, again, this is 1993. Um, Sega's got a look. The Genesis has a look to it. And this definitely builds into it. You know, I almost want to say this this falls in the same category as like maybe Thunder Force, you know, or, or other things like that. That's not to say it's a shoot 'em up in any stretch of the imagination, but it definitely, you know, there's some parallax backgrounds. Um, there's a lot of really kind of crisp visuals and that really kind of edgy, sharp look that the uh, the, the, the 68,000 chip and, and specifically the Genesis Mega Drive brings to the table. The action is also kind of very... Um, I wouldn't say intense because it's it's no different really than the NES version, um, but the action's a lot more fast-paced, I guess I would say. And the only reason we even make that distinction is because the Super NES had slightly more so slower-paced games, but that's not really a fair comparison because look at games even as early as Act Razor that were definitely action-oriented, but they still didn't pace quite as you know zippity and fast as say like. Yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog, but I kind of roll my eyes when I say that because that's an easy comparison to make. But like games just, you know, obviously I'm aware that the the Genesis um, or Mega Drive ran at 7 megahertz versus the 3.5 megahertz of the Super NES chip, but that's not really apples to apples. But yeah, it could process at a faster pace and therefore the games would tend to embrace that faster pace whether it was intentional or not and blaster master 2 is no exception i think the biggest change is that the jason sections are now side scrolling as well and it became a little more of a standard fare uh platformer slash shooter um the game actually got kind of favorable reviews, uh, Sevens, which nowadays I think is more favorable than probably back then. Um, to me, it just, it kills the duality of that game for better or worse that, that I, I kind of fell in love with on the NES. So it's not as distinguishable. You know, one might all might come together and say like, 
You could have just made this a side-scrolling shooter as either Jason or Sophia and just stuck with that and you'd be fine. Now, it does allow you to switch up the enemy details and maybe to a, you know, there is there is definitely some some changing of kind of the atmosphere and how the terrain works. Um, but it just doesn't seem that different. The other thing is why gate off the Jason and Sophia sections? Why not give strengths and weaknesses to both and then you can make the most of both? But um, either way... It's, it's a game worth playing. Um, again, if you're in Europe or Japan, you're pretty much using emulation unless you're importing it. Um, I dare say Blaster Master 2 is an expensive game. I don't recall it being that, but shows what I know. Let's see. Eh, 20 bucks, 20, 30 bucks on a loose cartridge. It's a little more expensive than I would have expected. And a lot more uh, Genesis games in America are complete because of their hard cases. And a complete copy will run you between 40 and 60. So it's not the cheapest game out there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Blaster Master 2 was, uh, was an interesting item. I think its biggest problem was that a lot of Nintendo kids went on to get a Super Nintendo and not a Sega Genesis. I was the exception, um, but I was a bold exception. Even I didn't buy Blaster Master 2. Uh, I should also point out Blaster Master 2 is at its highest height right now, which I realize I'm a fool. Of course it is because Blaster Master 0 came out. These trends tend to happen. For the most part, cart only will tend to sell for between 10 and 15 bucks in America. So give this a little bit of time to cool off and Blaster Master 2 will definitely come back down to a more reasonable price. Um, but yeah, you can totally pick it up on emulation. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of do like a little bit of what it does with the soundtrack. So um, let's take a quick opportunity to uh, take a look at uh, at one of its soundtracks. Um, let's go with the boss tune. I do kind of like the boss tune. So here we go. Let's take a look at the boss tune. And then we'll move on to one of the more interesting games when Blaster Master goes pseudo 3D. And again, that real signature, uh, you know, uh, kind of like strong, that Yamaha chip synthesis really coming through, in my opinion, in a very solid way. Um, and uh, and I think it sounds good. You know, it reminds me of old like Cygnosis Amiga games, I guess I would say. But uh, but yeah, so. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so the next time we see blaster master is in uh, kind of a weird situation uh, which is the playstation one game blaster master blasting again and uh, i don't know you know again this this came out in all three regions this came out in japan in 2000 in north america in 2001 and uh and uh and, and not even in europe so in europe you guys don't even have it i don't know how it goes in japan um it's cheap here and it did it it seems like it's kind of rare like it didn't it didn't come out uh for too long you'll note that 2001 may 6 2001 when this comes out in america the uh the playstation 2 is is just around the corner um so a lot of people you know um didn't uh uh didn't really uh get a chance to grab it and again it's a little hard to find but whenever you do find it it's dirt cheap i think it's five bucks on ebay um but 
but yeah, so this is kind of where it, they kind of tried to reboot Blaster Master, and I don't even know why or who came up with the idea. Um, it's developed by Sunsoft internally, so again, somebody must have loved it. Um, looking at the uh, main programmers and stuff, uh, you know, the producer was uh, Naoki Matsunaga, and director was Kiyoshi uh, Kitabayashi, and uh, these people are obviously not... Um, you know, uh, the original Iwata. So I don't know who had a big fondness for uh, Blaster Master, but then again, this is kind of the end of Sunsoft. So, um, you know, maybe they were taking a shot in the dark or taking, you know, the properties they had and making the most of them. But it really feels like it was a revamp because in Japan, it's known merely as Blaster Master. And then, of course, it's called Blaster Master Blasting again. Um, okay, sorry. I was reading the chat. Um, <clears throat> Blaster Master blasting again um, in in America, and I I would say by the PlayStation era, a lot of people probably I don't know didn't know about Blaster Master. Or you'd say stuff like, "Oh, I remember Blaster Master," but again, by this point, I was looking forward to a PlayStation Two and had a Dreamcast. Like I didn't have a real big need for it. And although the game was supposed to come out in late 2000 i don't think the little six month bump into summer 2001 really changed this much um before we get into what the game actually is it's important to talk about a fun little series that if you've never seen before you may want to go look up uh, these are called the worlds of power novelizations um, if you're not familiar with these um, basically in the early 90s um, there were novelizations of video games um and uh, there were a decent number of them. I'm looking at a screenshot right now. There was a Ninja Gaiden one. There was a Wizards and Warriors one. There's a Simon's Quest one. There's a Metal Gear one, Bionic Commando, Mega Man 2. Somehow there's a Bases Loaded one. I don't know how that happened. And then, of course, you have Blaster Master. Thank you, baby. Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, um, with all of these, you've got these these crazy Worlds of Power series that are like novelizations. And those are actually... Uh, maybe later, honey. I got to finish this, okay? Sorry. Um, somehow my daughter got away from my wife. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so um, when these novelizations existed they were just fun books for young adults to read and uh, they were made they were written by a couple of different uh, writers and actually um <clears throat> if you recall our d20s and whatever our D episode of um of uh, uh of gaming history 101 we had gary butterfield on and uh he actually wrote his own version of a uh, a worlds of power book that he he took from his love for those um but uh but yeah um and al singer who is actually better known as um peter larangus um, he, uh, you know, using a pen name, um, made Blaster Master and Ninja Gaiden, uh, books, novelizations. And, um, and his novelization basically, oh, wait, hold on. Okay. Um, his novelization of Blaster Master, uh, does some interesting things with the canonical tale. Um, so one of those is that Jason gets out, um, I'm trying to remember if he saves Fred the Frog. Let's see here. Um, uh, da -da -da, I'm looking for his frog. Da -da -da. I'm trying to see where... 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't remember where um, whether or not he mentions Fred. Fred the Frog is lost uh, in the the uh, in the uh, from the look of it. But what he does retain is this idea that Jason grows up. He meets Eve, a character completely created for these books, uh, who becomes his wife, and they even have two children, um, which are Elfie and Roddy, um, and. Uh, and basically, um, the 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 book you know ends with uh, you know after after they save Earth, Jason and Eve marry. Um, oh, they're an, they're part of another alien race. I'm sorry. Okay, and Jason and Eve settle on Earth, have two children, and there you go. So Blaster Master blasting again, which is uh, if you've not played it, it's a it's a 3D platformer with both Sophia and uh, and and uh, in this case, I think it's Roddy. Yeah, Roddy is the character you play. Uh, sections all in kind of 3D, true 3D, because it was the CD generation, and that was what we did. Um, but yeah, the game opens on a very dark tone. So uh, Eve dies, um, and uh, a couple years later, uh, lightning beings, which are these fictional creatures that I believe personify the radioactive beings from the game in the novelization, they come down and kill him. They kill him, um, and uh, and then they uh, and then they basically uh, try to take over the world, and. Um, and uh, as a result, here comes Sophia. They rebuild her and modify her and uh, recreate her as Sophia J7. And uh, Roddy is, uh, dons her. And uh, you play as Roddy, now 16 years old, um, and playing through all these different areas of, uh, of uh, the world in Blaster Master, kind of, uh, I guess, under the Earth's core, but I don't think it's very specific. Um, so yeah, so the, di- the dichotomy between Sophia's sections and Roddy's sections are extremely obvious, I guess, once you go into a 3D area and you start playing these. Um, so, uh, and, and to be fair, I actually kind of dig the Sophia areas. So, um, with Sophia, you do have just like has always been in the game, um, platforming. Sophia can jump, can move around. Um, there are definitely plenty of platforming puzzles and obstacle puzzles and things like that. There's also enemies to shoot and Sophia navigates kind of as you would think, you know, in kind of a 3d platformer style and um, the best part about it is um, when you're in Sophia's view, um, everything's angled on the car. So you're able to just kind of like see a fixed perspective. Um, that changes when Roddy jumps out and you play the Roddy sections. <laughs> so um, the camera is all over the place and it's very hard to control and it's really goofy. And where you shoot, there's not even a reticle, I don't believe. Where you shoot is kind of loosely based off of where your camera's looking. And some of the best examples I can give is like a more clumsy version of Shadows of the Empire. Um, and maybe even more appropriate is... I played these god-awful... There was a, a fan of GH101. I'm guessing he doesn't listen anymore. If you do, I, I'm glad you continued to listen. But he wanted me to play through all of the James Bond games on PlayStation 1 and said they were really good. And he wanted to see complete playthroughs. Um, and uh, I, I just despised these games. I 
think the one I, I definitely played the most was like Tomorrow Never Dies, but there were a bunch of them, and they were all the P- Pierce Brosnan ones on the PS1. And uh, Jam has told me that he widely considers them all to be garbage. Um, this person very much liked them, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you like games, people don't like you know whatever. Like I said, adversity. Um, adversity is a positive thing as long as you keep it constructive. Um, so this person liked these games, but I did not. And uh, when you play Blaster Master Blasting again and play the Roddy sections, it feels so much like this. Another game that's probably much more liked that has a reticle and probably controls a lot better that I still don't like was, oh, I'm going to blank on it, but it's a rare game on the Rare Replay Collection. Uh, let me pull up the list. It was an N64 game. Um, hold on. Here's the list. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Jet Force Gemini. I'm sorry, guys, who like Jet Force Gemini. I really don't care for this game. I've tried time and time again. I've played the N64 version and the Rare Replay version, and it's just not my cup of tea. And Blaster Master Blasting Against Roddy Sections feel so much like a early version of that. Um, now, don't get me wrong. It wasn't a, a terribly bad game, um, and it did a really good... I guess I would say attempt. Um, graphics look pretty good, you know, things like that. Everything kind of holds together. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I just don't really get into the Roddy sections. The Roddy sections are my kiss of death on this game, and it makes me not want to play it. Um, there are some pretty cool boss battles. There's some massive. Uh, Massive scope to them, massive scale to them. And uh, in my opinion, the multi-layered boss battles with like gimmicks and like things you have to take out uh, was somewhat new. It wasn't unique per se, but it was new enough. Um, and uh, and I definitely like the boss sequences when you were in Sophia, of course, more than Roddy running around. Um, at the time, it reviewed okay. Sevens, eights, things like that. Uh, EGM gave it a 6.5. They were probably hardest on it, but GameSpot gave it an, almost an 8, a 7.7. 7. Um, an official PlayStation magazine really liked it. Ooh, UK, though? Slammed it. 3 out of 10. So the UKs didn't like it. Um, but it's an okay game. I keep it in my collection because, again, like I said, whenever I find it, it's like 99 cents to 5 bucks. Um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, it's... I don't know. It's, it's an okay game. I, I don't think I give it as much credit as it deserves. Um, but it's something. Sunsoft was trying something. Um but yes, so, um, and then systematically at the exact same time that Blaster Master Blasting again comes out, we also get Sunsoft releasing, um, kind of synonymously on the portables. Now, the reason that I, well, hold on, let me, let me give you my timeline because my timeline seems a little wonky, um, if you uh, if you look at it because the next game I'm going to talk about is actually a Game Boy Advance game. Maybe it was a Game Boy Color game. It was a Game Boy Color game uh, called Blaster Master Enemy Below, which actually released a little bit earlier. Um, so I, I apologize. My timeline must have gotten screwed up. For some reason, I thought it released a little bit later in Japan than the uh, Blaster Master Blasting again. But basically at about the same time on the Game Boy Color. Uh, Sunsoft Internal, um, Sunsoft uh, published it uh, and uh, developed it, Sunsoft Games, um, in conjunction with an Outback uh, Outback company or something in Japan, but I think they were just helping with the coding stuff. Uh, it wasn't designed by them. 
um, makes Blaster Master Enemy Below. And it's kind of revamped as Metafight EX in Japan. So it's kind of harkening back to it. This did also come out in Europe. They uh, It came out in early 2000 in Japan, uh, late uh, fall late fall in uh, UK and uh, North America. Um, and it is on the 3DS Virtual Console right now uh, in all three regions if you ever do want to play it. Um, but what this was, I mean, kind of in the simplest extent, was an internally developed kind of like reboot to the series. Um, graphically, it looks almost identical to the NES game. Um, again, it's Game Boy Color, so it's slightly more archaic, but they do a really good job of putting it together. And it is just kind of like a new quest in that same concept. I mean, from the original game, like you got the Sophia sections, you've got the Jason sections. I don't even remember if the plot resembles anything. I can't off the top of my head remember it, but I do remember playing this game and kind of digging it. Um, but I mean, in truth, it just seems like a second quest remix kind of form of the original game so it just kind of comes down to whether or not you wanted more blaster master like the original which to a lot of people i think you know is a good thing um but uh but yeah so uh you know while there is blaster master blasting again it's kind of some weird anomaly uh if you really want to get a good feel for uh, and it got great review scores by the way i should also add but if you want to get kind of a feel for you know some portable blaster master action or play kind of a uh, a continuation of the original nes game if you you know have played it recently and it is still beloved with you and everything get on your 3ds pick yourself up blaster master enemy below or heck if you're like me and you got a Game Boy sitting around in Game Boy Color, grab it there, you know. Maybe a Super Game Boy, you know, grab the cart. Let's see what Enemy Below, I'm guessing it doesn't sell for too much. Uh, but uh, let's see what it sells for in America. Enemy Below, eh, it's not great. Um, cart usually sells for about 15 to 20 loose. Um, complete, it goes up to like 70. But again, that's because complete in-box Game Boy Color games uh, and Game Boy games in general, very hard to come by. Um, but right now you can usually get one for between 15 and 20 bucks. So not too bad, not too shabby. Um, but yeah, so anyway, um, because it did have the, in my opinion, the better soundtrack, uh, let's listen to the Watergate track off of Blaster Master blasting again. And we will wrap up with kind of the April Fool's Day joke heard round the world as Victor Ireland tries to promote the reboot. Actually, I'd rather say the remake Blaster Master Overdrive. You know, love him or hate him, I do quite like uh, almost every instance of the uh, Blaster Master uh, uh, soundtracks. So, um, but uh, yeah, so, um, <clears throat> so yeah, so finally we'll get into, so Blaster Master for the most part, again, it kind of goes into hiatus in 2000. Many would say it dies with um, <laughs> with uh, Blaster Master uh, 
um, blasting again. And uh, I, I don't think it got a whole enemy below. Uh, I don't think it got a whole lot of, of, of sales. It seems like a semi-rare game, um, especially with those 3DS virtual console things. Nintendo tended to uh, release games that uh, were well-liked and, and had you know a decent probability of selling well uh on that but uh anyway we fast forward to april 1st 2010 i would argue to say blaster master is especially in the games world like kind of a dinosaur like a lot of people don't remember it you know people like me you know yeah, yeah. i mean it, actually i take it back it's got love and praise i just recently saw this while i was looking through some of my notes paste magazine ranked it as the second greatest game of all time Oh, NES game of all time, but still, still. Uh, now, again, that was from a 2008 article written by Jason Killingsworth. So I guess you can go after him if, <laughs> if, if that's your thing. But, uh, but again, it still is a very beloved game. Um, but it's, it's mostly you know, not thought about. And I think maybe Retronauts might have even around this time done an episode like beforehand or afterwards. Um, but Victor Ireland um, comes out and talks about... Um, the release of a virtual console game called Blaster Master Destination Fred. And um, it was supposed to be a Play Choice 10 game. If you don't recall, Play Choice 10 was the NES, like, you know, kind of red hat and arcade monitors, uh, ways you could basically play Nintendo games, but sometimes there were exclusive games. And um, at this point, Victor Ireland, uh, if you don't know him, he was a great, uh, he was great at, and, and still continues to be great at trying to get Japanese only games over to America. So it's kind of weird that he did this, but you know, when you, when you hear the story, you'll, you'll understand. Um, Best known probably for working designs, and uh, that's uh, that's our episode. We're nothing without you. If you want to go look that up on uh, the feed or in the archive, um, great company did a lot of great stuff in the '90s uh, for bringing uh, localizing and bringing stuff over here. Um, but at this point, um, Victor Ireland uh, was uh, the founder of a, a new company called Gaijin Works. Gaijin Works. Uh, Started in about 2006-7, um, but they've definitely kind of continued on what working designs kind of, I mean, literally working designs dies out and then in comes Gaijin Works. And uh, they they did, they published some like games that probably never would have come out here, such as um, Miami Law, a very well-touted Nintendo DS game, uh, America-only Hudson title. Um, but various other things as well. They basically re-released some stuff digitally. But one of their earliest projects um, kind of was uh, this this Blaster Master. Um, uh, da, 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 uh, why am I blanking? Overdrive. Blaster Master Overdrive. And um, again, it started where Victor Island comes out and goes, oh my God, I was over at Sunsoft's headquarters and I found these old carts in a storeroom that were old ROMs and we're going to put them on the virtual console market and let them come out. And, you know, a lot of people thought this, uh, I don't know. I feel like people were on to the fact that this may have been, you know, uh, you know, kind of a ploy to release, you know, basically newer games with a retro feel. It should also be noted that about this time, Dark Void Zero comes out, which is an 8-bit game uh, that was kind of, it was very cheap. Uh, it was released for, I think, five bucks on um, on maybe Virtual Console. It was definitely on the 3DS store, I think. But yeah, it was like kind of a spinoff to Dark Void, the main, you know, 360 PS3 PC game. 
uh, is kind of almost like a pseudo marketing thing. And Jimmy Fallon's and it's this is a ridiculous thing. But around this time, you know, it makes sense that, you know, Blaster Master Destination and Fred could be this kind of rewritten you know, reality of, of them making this game, um, and pretending it's an old game lost to the annals of history. But at the same time, um, you know, it very well may have not been anything and it may have been like a a real game. Well, it all kind of fizzled away and Blaster Master Destination Fred never really came out. It was kind of an April Fool's Day host, uh, hoax. And then, you know, lo and behold, what happens is, um, um, right around this time. Oh shit. I apologize guys. My dates are so off for some reason. They're saying that, uh, okay. For some reason it says blaster master, um, overdrive, which is this remake, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, came out February 8th, 2010. I always thought blaster master overdrive came out after this, this hoax, but maybe it was Victor Ireland just having a fun time after it came out. But this kind of fits in between blaster master overdrive did not come out in Japan, but guy gene works, um, had this internally sudden soft developed, um, we wear game come out, uh, in North America, February 8th, 2010. Uh, in Europe, uh, June 18th, 2010. And um, basically what it was, was the original Blaster Master game kind of remade where they tweaked the controls, a little bit of the game and level design, um, a little bit, and uh, definitely redid the soundtrack and of course gave it upgraded visuals and everything. Um, And it kind of sits to me on par with, uh, let's say, um, sorry, I'm kind of, jumping through the chat, but, uh, it, it seems to me to be slightly on par with, uh, a lot of the stuff that was going on at the time. There was the, uh, Castlevania, um, and Gradius rebirth series and Contra rebirth. It kind of fell in that same venue. And I, I, I was of course doing podcasting at the time. And I remember viewing it as such. I was real big on retro at the time, but I remember going like, Oh yeah, this is just them cashing in on the whole redux thing, which later gave way to them cashing in on the whole remastered thing, which is still nowhere near done. Um, but, uh, but you know, it, it, I remember it holding up pretty well. I remember playing it and I was like, this is pimp. This is, this is basically blaster master as I remember it, you know, and I really dug it. The Sophia felt really good. I liked the new graphics and, um, I dug the, the control scheme. Um, you could do a couple of different, uh, control schemes for me personally. I believe you could do the, the turn the NES con- or the, the Wiimote sideways and play it like an NES controller. And I think that's what I liked the most. Um, but, uh, but one thing I do remember was using the D pad only, uh, definitely made it really kind of clumsy in the Jason sections. Uh, oh, sorry. Actually, I think it's Alex this time around. Yes, it's Alex. Okay. In the Alex sections when he's walking around. Um, but, uh, but ultimately it was just kind of like a reboot of, um, of Blaster Master. And it was, it was pretty darn good. Actually looking at these scores, people didn't like it as much as I did. Well, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I think if you like Blaster Master, and I think this is where some of the scrutiny comes in, um, you know, you should like Overdrive, but who knows? Perhaps not. It should still be available on the on the store. Um, and, uh, oh, okay. Um, 
Yeah, and the way you were expected to play it was uh, was the way I was talking about. But I guess a lot of people want to play it with the classic controller. I think that's just a, a showing of the times. Like people in 2010, a lot of them didn't grow up with the NES uh, that were gamers at the time, especially on the Wii, and didn't want to play that way. But anyway... I kind of dug it. Um, I'm also looking at some notes here. Apparently, people hated that it wasn't progressive scan. I totally get that. But hey, the Wii wasn't... It did support progressive scan, but it wasn't... um, You know, I I wouldn't go into it expecting that necessarily. I believe all the rebirths, like Castlevania Rebirth and stuff, are all interlaced as well. So, um, But uh, Kaijudo says, yeah, they tried to revamp it. I don't know how I played, but I think this time around you had to use one monster as your leader or something crazy like that. Oh, wait, wait. They're talking about something else, I think. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is why I shouldn't read the chat when I'm uh, wrapping up a show. But anyway, uh, but Overdrive kind of stood as like the last bastion of Blaster Master. And, you know, I think as we see, people were really hard on it. People were shitting on the Wii a lot and stuff like that. And now when people go back to it, maybe they like it a little bit more. I was just listening to the Future Monkeys podcast and Jen apparently played it and really liked it. I went back and played it uh, a couple nights ago. Still was what I remembered. Again, I think it still suffers from the same problem as the original Blaster Master, which is maybe when I'm playing it for 30 minutes, just trying to remind myself it's pretty good. And then when you go back and try to actually beat the game, it doesn't hold up as much. I don't remember it being that expensive, though. Uh, again, my catalog is long overdue, but want to say it was 10 maybe even 6 bucks. I don't know. It, it probably isn't much, but I, I could be wrong. Um... But uh, yeah, and it retains all of the weapon collecting and upgrades and all that stuff, all the Metroid stuff we love. So I don't know. <clears throat> I I actually dig the game. For the record, I really dug Overdrive. So anyway, and then we fast forward to nowadays where Blaster Master Zero is coming out. And I believe it's a prequel to Blaster Master. Um and I, I'm going to kind of leave it at that. I don't want to talk about Zero because I just got started with it. I just started playing through it, and I haven't gone back and done. Um, but uh, but here we go. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm seeing that. Chatters. Um, but uh, And Andrew did say the best April Fool's joke was Jack and Daxter, The Lost Frontier. I don't know the context for that. Probably many of you do. And uh, I will look up... Uh, uh, the context for that and, uh, and and get back at that time. Of course, as you know, Andrew, if you want to shoot it into the chat, um, I can read it at the very end. But anyway, so Blaster Master Zero is now available. Um, it's a little on the pricey side, I think. I think it's 20 bucks on Switch and 3DS. Um, maybe it's only 10 actually. Let me look this up. Blaster Master Zero. Before I pan a game for a price point that it doesn't have. 20, 10 bucks. I'm sorry, it was 10 bucks. Okay, there you go good price for it got the 8-bit style i do like that um and uh so far uh it's fun um but again it goes back to the old caveat of the original blaster master so anyway um so yeah uh um andrew says the game was announced on april 1st so there you go so jack and dexter lost frontier probably a non-existent game that got announced as a as a hoax and people are people who are big fans of jack and dexter which of which i know andrew is are like god damn it why how could you but anyway um so yeah so that wraps up the blaster master series and my semi shaky because i got distracted at several times um solo retelling but uh i hope you enjoyed it um but yeah i, I think it's worth 
mentioning because Blaster Master is a a well-loved game franchise, even though I don't think a lot of people have played much beyond half an hour of the original NES game. But again, like most other things, I may be very wrong. So, um, but yeah, so... Let's see here. I'm going to queue up Blaster Master Overdrive, um, my favorite of the uh, the tracks on it, um, but uh, which is just going to be the, the of course, the intro theme uh, as we call this to a close. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, in closing, uh, you can write in about any of your comments with Blaster Master or other things, uh, but, uh, oh, oh, it exists. All right. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Um uh, to contact the history 101com Again, going to be tapering off a little bit and I'm going to get headstrong into uh, um, into uh, grinding out Cron CD. I want to get you guys some more episodes of that. I know you guys like it a lot and uh, your continued support is very thankful. Uh, so a couple of things. If you want to contribute to this, uh, to uh, the efforts of Gaming History 101, definitely let me know because we're going to have a very short period where we're going to kind of get people on board and I can share with those people kind of our plans and then hopefully make an announcement in the upcoming month, get Jam back and then get moving on uh, the future of the show. So um, I should point out next week is my anniversary. Eight long years of marriage. I'm very pleased with that. Um, but I will not be on the uh, on the live show. Um, I don't even know if I'll be able to broadcast a live show. I'll have to work with Tiger Clon to see if he can handle that. Uh, we should be recording a pre-recorded show this weekend um, with uh, one of two guests that I've got lined up. We'll see what their schedules are like. Um, don't remember what the topic topic would be depending on the guest so i'll just leave it open again um but yeah and uh and so we'll we'll kind of leave it at that uh but in the meantime yes uh, let us know your feedback let us know what you want to hear in episodes and let us know if you want to work for us <laughs> i guess the final thing i would point out is we do have a patreon patreon.com forward slash gaming history 101 um if you would like to contribute um you know i could go and do the stuff that makes me roll my eyes where like if only one percent of people da 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 you know, we would have more than enough and things like that. Um, what I will say is thank you to those of you who do support us. Um, I'd like to get that going, especially because one of our most generous donators um, dropped down their contributions, which they, which they should. They were giving too much for far too long. Uh, so thank you. You know who you are. Um, but uh, that does strip down the budget a little bit, which is fine. But I want to get rid of the fundraiser. I don't want that to be a thing anymore. And with the new efforts that are going on, we don't need any more money, but we would like to keep it going so that we can just keep this consistent. So, uh, And thank you very much for, um, for B. Mulligan, who... Uh, uh, recently became a Patreon supporter. Uh, if you'd like to also, I, I'd really appreciate it. I'm not going to do ongoing diatribes about it, but if you can, even one buck a month, it'd be very, uh, you know, I'd be very, it'd be, it'd be great. And uh, we might be able to do some cool stuff if we can get the funding just bumped up a little bit so I can start doing uh, more interesting things um, and uh, get everyone up to speed. So anyway, do it if you want to, don't if you don't. And with that, check all of our stuff out at GamingHistory101.com. And uh, let's let's wrap up. Um, oh, we brought it back, Clue Drew. We brought it back. Uh, I, I put it on hiatus for a while, but the Patreon did come back. Maybe I didn't do a really good job of, uh, uh, of saying that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so here we go. We're going to wrap up. With Blaster Master Overdrive to all the chatters and everybody out there, I want to thank. I want to say thank you and peace out.